Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good evening. Good to see you guys here. Happy Good Friday for you who are here and those who you are watching online. Glad you guys can be here and we can do this together. Uh, as I was um, thinking about you know, putting this together, I was thinking about how every now and then maybe I'll see a meme or I'll, I'll read something about, you know, I was today's years old when I found out something like on the aluminum foil boxes, they have the holes that you punch in so that they don't fall out, you know, that kind of thing. Or I was today years old when I found out that the reason they call it a pilot for a new TV series is because it's the first time it goes on the air. Right? See, see, learn something new. Or when they say if a person is trying out for uh, a play, they tell them break a leg because they're hoping they will be in a cast. <laughs> it's true, right? They'll be in a cast, the cast of the play. Today's old. Today old, so now that. And I say all that because there has been an evolution in my understanding of Good Friday and what it means. This morning, I got a text at 7 a.m. Someone, I was up, so it was okay. Um, not always, but usually, Mondays, Wednesday, Friday, I am. Um, but they sent me a text saying that uh, they heard a Good Friday message I did four years, ago, four years ago, and it was the best they ever heard. They said that, and I got that text. And my first thought was like, oh, that's so nice. Thank you, right? I really appreciated that. And my second thought was, uh-oh, what did I say four years ago? Because there has been a change, right? And so I went back and listened to four years ago, and I was grateful that my evolutionary change had begun, and it came across in the message that was called The Revolution. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, we did like four series or four studies on that, just really talking about the death of Christ. And that was kind of coming to a place where I had been struggling because Maybe like many of you, I had grown up with a lens that understood that the reason Jesus had to die on the cross was to appease the righteousness of God so that we would not get the wrath of God. Because unless someone sinless died and paid for my sin, God could not accept me. And that's what I heard. And so everything I read in scripture was filtered through that lens. And so when you get to a scripture like in John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The word gave in my mind translate to sacrifice. 
because that's the lens that I have. But they're clearly not the same thing. To give something and to sacrifice and kill something are two different things, right? Hey, is it okay if I give you something? I don't know. What are you going to give me, right? If it's to kill and sacrifice, it's got a totally different meaning. And I was pleased to learn that there have been other thoughts regarding atonement theory that I just had not heard about. And I was like today years old when I started hearing about these other things that started resonating with me. You know, what is the reason for Jesus's crucifixion? And now before you you just think, well, it was to die for our sins, understand that that statement alone is loaded with so many other questions like why? Why did that have to happen? How exactly does that work? How does him dying equate forgiveness of sins? What does it accomplish? What do you mean by sins? There are so many other questions that build on top of that. And so finding out that there are many atonement theories throughout our history as Christianity was very liberating for me, which is actually one of the theories we'll get to later on. But... What has dominated my understanding and probably most of yours in the airwaves and the things that we hear is called penal substitutionary atonement. I'm just going to call it PSA from now on because I don't want to have to say that three times fast. And it came into writing around the 11th century and was in a feudal context and then was propagated very much by the Reformation and those fathers and has been adopted in evangelical circles, and so it's become the predominant way of seeing things. But before PSA, there were other ideas, and even some that came after that. There is Christ or salvation as sacrifice, and and sacrifice is different than substitution. There is salvation as victor or victory, salvation as love, salvation as freedom, And then the question, most people say, well, which one's right? Well, it's like asking a golfer, what's the best club? Now, I don't play golf, but I know enough about it to know that there is not one club that's the best. It really depends on what you're doing, right? If you're at the start and you've got to drive the ball, yeah, you use a club. But if you're on the green, you need a putter. If you're in a sand trap... You need a sand trapper, right? You need a a different kind of club. You need a a wedge or something like that, right? So there isn't one that's best. It really kind of encompasses a lot. And, And the same thing that I think happens with that ideology is we see Jesus and understand the depth and mystery of the cross, that we, we don't limit it to one thing, that he is the great physician, that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life. Remember, laying down your life to protect something is different than dying instead of. And the same thing with ransoming or redeeming. There's all these different ideologies or identifying with that in, 
capture what is happening at the cross. And there isn't one club that can fit all of these ideologies. And that's why there's so many metaphors for the cross because it is so deep. And that's why throughout history, we've had so many people giving these ideas of theories because we're trying to figure it out. And I don't have it figured out. It still is a mystery to me, but it's a mystery that draws me in. It's a mystery that captures me. It's a mystery that I somehow can resonate with. And I think we all can. There are many scholars such as Scott McKnight who choose to take what they call a kaleidoscopic view of atonement and that it's touched on by each of these different theories. And I think we need to begin to grasp the meaning of why we celebrate the cross in more than just this one ideology. I know it's simple to have one thing that's nice and clear, but we really do injustice to the scripture when we try to put all these things into this one form, like God so loved the world that he gave. If that word gave means had to sacrifice to kill, it's a whole different verse and has a whole different meaning. One of the things in the ideologies. Why did Jesus die? And it was because he was a victor. Jesus announces that the kingdom of God, the reign of God has come and that the reign of the earthly kingdoms is ending, right? That Jesus displays powers over the demons, over the darkness, over the weakness, over the suffering, and he brings forgiveness. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul writes, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so we see the cross and the idea of power and this idea of victory. In Ephesians 2, verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. You know, speaking of Jews and Gentiles here, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Again, showing victory in what Jesus did on the cross, now uniting humanity. Another ideology of why did Jesus die is that for love. And I think this is one that we can so easily gravitate to because I think it resonates with us in a very personal way. God was simply being faithful to God's nature. Trip Fuller from Homebrewed Christianity, it's a great podcast if you wanna listen to it, He says that we know that God's got to be at least as nice as Jesus, right? And so when we see Jesus, we got to see God's got to be at least this nice, right? It's not like, hey, dad, come on, let him slide. You know, it's not, it doesn't work that way. He is at one with the father. And so in this understanding, God's not breaking the stronghold of Satan or the demands of justice, but was simply being faithful to his nature because God is love, it tells us in 1 John. And now John 3.16 seems to read a lot more easily. God so loved the world that he gave. It seems to, to flow with the character, the nature of God and that Christ died because God loves and this is demonstration of that love. John 15, 
Jesus said in verse nine, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. See how this reads so differently now. It's not, no, greater love has no one than someone dies instead of a friend. Laying down your life for a friend instead of being the substitution for that death reads very different. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, are we his friends even before the cross? I thought we were enemies but now Jesus is calling us his friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Totally different dynamic. Paul would say, who can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus and conclude that there is nothing that can separate us from this love? In Psalm 136, it says, to give thanks to the Lord for he is good for a steadfast love endures forever. So it's not just something in the New Testament. The Old Testament also talks about this love that endures and continues. John would write in 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Again, uh, understanding, I know what it's like to have to give of myself. Now I'm not giving myself just instead of them, like you should have died, but I'm gonna die for you. No, it's an idea of I'm doing it because I care so much about you. I am going to give of myself to you. Now we don't lay down our lives instead, but for. And I think that's something that we can resonate with. There's a very interesting passage in Exodus 34 where it says, the Lord passed before him. This is Moses when the Lord is revealing himself to Moses and proclaimed the Lord, Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. Right? This is something that God is. And it goes on and it says, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, what scholars have said about this is this not forgiving for the children and the children's children. It's those who would live in one household. It's basically this family is going to endure the pain, but the verse before it says his forgiveness is going for thousands of generations, right? So the result of our behavior lasts usually within the family, but God's mercy goes forever. And and so there's a contrast to the goodness of God and to the problems that we create. Those that have or who would be considered guilty. In 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And we've got to talk about this word propitiation, because that's just a word we always use, right? 
Some translations will translate this atoning sacrifice. The word is actually not propitiation in the Greek, and the word has various meanings. There are many scholars who think it's more like that of cleansing or a place of atonement, like the mercy seat. And so it's used in other places in Scripture, like in Romans, where it does, has nothing to do with sacrificing for another, but in some places they choose to put it in this way because, again, it's the lens that we have been living in. But many will choose to say that it is a time of cleansing or the place of sacrifice. Jesus would say, destroy this body in three days, I will raise it up, right? It is the place of sacrifice, not that it's instead of or a substitution. And look at the context there in John. Is it retribution or is it love, right? It's love. And so having this understanding and taking words like this, we see that words that are difficult for us to understand because they're in a different language, and we start translating them based on our understanding of our theology. And so you can take a word and make it propitiation or atoning sacrifice. The word is hilasmos. That's the word in the Greek. There, I'm glad I cleared that all for you but it could mean it is the place of worship or the place of sacrifice, not the substitution of. Another idea of why did Jesus die was for freedom's sake. This also can be known as liberation theology, that when Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is moving from sympathy to empathy. He is identifying with us in our weakness. He suffered for us and with us. And there's something beautiful here as we look through scripture with this lens and identifying things. In Luke's gospel, chapter 19, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restored it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation came to Zacchaeus when he displayed justice. This is before the cross. Jesus is talking about salvation. In Matthew 13, 15, I don't think I gave you this one, Rick. It says, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Jesus says the same, or quotes the same passage in Mark, and he says that they indeed may see but not perceive, and I may in, and indeed may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. In one passage, the word is used for heal, the other is used for forgive, and you see they actually mean the same thing, that forgiveness and healing are a part of the heart of God and are being displayed. And so when Jesus would see the paralytic and he'd say, your sins are forgiven, they would say, who can forgive sins? He's trying to bring about an understanding of who God is and what it is that God is wanting to do. Because what God is trying to do is bring wholeness. It's easy for those who have enough 
to look forward to what will happen in the future or what will happen after we die. But for those who are sick now, those who are hungry now, those who are in need now, salvation looks like medicine. It looks like food. It looks like daily bread. And that looks like Jesus. And it looks like the culmination of what Jesus did on the cross. Another interesting passage in Matthew 8, verse 14. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law laying sick with a fever. He touched her and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That was nice of her, right? I mean, it's like, you're better. Get Anyway, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast the, out the spirits and with a word healed all who were sick. Thus was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. That word bore means to put on, like to carry like a burden. And what we see in Jesus is him carrying our hurt, our brokenness, empathizing with us all the way to the point of the cross, which is the culmination of all these things. Jesus cared for the needs that were before him, and salvation looks like help in time of need. And that's why if you are a person from a a different ethnicity who has been downcast like the Jews were at this time. Salvation meant a whole lot more than when you die, you get to go to heaven. It it looked like healing now. So those words could be used interchangeably. It's easier to say forgiven or easier to say healed because it's really the same thing. God is wanting to bring about healing. And this brings us to the idea of where we carry on today. You know, I have heard, and I know many of you have well have heard, and it was even mentioned earlier, like, well, can kids take communion? Is that okay? You know, or, or can we prepare the, the elements because don't you have to be like ordained to give communion? Or you've heard 1 Corinthians 11, where it says, if anyone takes or eats this in an unworthy manner, so we got to make sure we're right before God, otherwise he might kill us, right? And strike us dead. And that is so opposite of what is being said. So I want to end here in 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Paul's blasting them right now. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. What is he doing? He is rebuking people because they are not showing consideration for other 
people and you call yourself the church. You don't look like Jesus when you act like this. I will not commend this. He doesn't even tell him don't get drunk. He just says, you can go home and do that. He's not saying to get drunk, by the way, okay? Just clarify that. But his whole point is how they are treating the other because it is in conflict with the character of Christ. Verse 23, he says, for I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What is he talking about? Unworthy manner. You are selfish. You are inconsiderate. That is not like the Lord. Has nothing to do with, did you have a bad thought today? Did you have a cigarette at lunch? You know, you shouldn't do that. You're not worthy. Did you... It has nothing to do with that. This is the whole point of the cross is to draw the sick to him. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. What is he doing? He is helping us to understand you are not like Jesus when you are inconsiderate of others. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You are not representing Christ. You are showing yourself to be other than him while you are supposed to be remembering him. And he's rebuking them for that. You see, The cross was meant to be a place where people came together from all these different walks of life and were one, one new humanity. He he did this in his flesh. And here they were saying, yes, I'm gonna come. You know, a lot of people are getting there early. They're eating, they eat all the food, they drink all the wine. And then people who are out in the vineyards working all day come and there's nothing left for them. And this is my church Right? We would just go to another church, but they didn't have another church. Like, I ain't going to that church again. Bunch of people eat all the food, drink all the wine, leave nothing for us, right? They were coming here and they were understanding, this does not look like Jesus, but we have nowhere else to go. And Paul says, I cannot commend this because right here is the opportunity for us to acknowledge the whole purpose of the cross and it was to bring unity to these people. And so when we partake of the cup today or tonight, have in your mind how encompassing this idea of Jesus going to the cross is, that it's conquering death and sin, that it is victorious in these ways, that it is a sign of incredible love that we, that moves us unconditionally 
It is a call to, to freedom. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And it is a call to be considerate and to care, even as Jesus did for us. It is all these things, and I'm sure a whole lot more. And so when you read a passage and it talks about Jesus dying for our sins, may you spin out and think, man, what does that all include? What does that mean? Is it healing? Is it forgiveness? Is it love? Is it all of the above? How does that now affect me and how I live with one another? Because what the cup and the bread are doing are telling us, they're preaching to us how we are to live, that we too are to lay down our lives for one another, even as he did for us. It is helping us to remember all of what the cross entails so that we can live into it. And it's meant for everybody. It's meant for the kids. It's meant for anyone who would come in off the street. You are welcome to eat from this table anytime. It's why it was set. It was set for you. It was set for me. And all are welcome to this table. We are going to get to the place where communion will not look like Dixie cups, but it will look like meals where we can enjoy them together again. But for right now, we got Dixie cups. And we've got one cup that has the grape juice in it, and we have one cup that has a piece of bread in it. So they're separate. So you can pick up two cups, pick up the right two, And then as Randy is singing, I want you to kind of come forward, get the cups. You can come back to your table, and then we will partake in these together, okay? So take it, go back, and then wait so we can kind of pray and participate in this together. It's humbling to think that when we participate in this, that we are carrying on a tradition that's been going on for thousands of years by hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. That in some way, Christ has brought us back to this place. That though the understanding might escape us fully, might not fully understand it, it still draws us in. It still brings us back to this place where we remember because greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for friends. And you can hear Jesus saying, I'm calling you friend. And that moves us and that draws us. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And that's why we come back time and time again because God is so good. And we see it so clearly in Christ. And we remember it now at this time. Let's pray. Father, we stand with those who have stood before us. Lord, those who you sat with in that very first Last Supper, where you broke bread and told them this was your body, that this was your blood. 
that it was broken and poured out for them and for us. For those who participated and partook of this under persecution, those in other countries who get together and have to hide and remember this, we join with them. Grateful for your love. Grateful for your promise that you and your flesh have brought one new humanity together. And we get to participate in that. And that is what we proclaim here this evening, that we are part of this work you began. May it continue in us and through us. Let's partake of the bread together. It's interesting in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper. So we're supposed to have a meal right now, which is what we'll do someday. Because the whole point of communion was for us to commune with each other and understand that that's what God has wanted. As Jesus loved us and says, as my Father has loved me, I love you, that you might be one as we are in one. Let's remember the Lord and what he's done for us and partake of the cup together. May your hearts remember the mystery of the cross and may it draw you back time and time again. For the love of God is beyond our ability to understand. But we can partake of it at any time. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. And see you hopefully Sunday. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.